0: And what is up? Welcome in. GC live. Wes Mitchell here. Chris Clark, as always, presented by our good buddy, Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933 is the number if you're in the market for a new home. Give Clint a shout. Uh, Plenty to talk about, plenty to get to. Uh, Missed you guys and girls. It's been a while since I've been on. Um, Too long. So uh, we've got we, we don't even actually have time to catch up on all that I have missed. So we're going to dive right in to the newest news, Chris, of course. Um, anticipated, but now official, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, Dow Loggins, now South Carolina's offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, uh, taking the place of Marcus Satterfield. And Chris, also some news, uh, Pete Limbo with a raise and an extension through 2025 today. Um, I don't want to gloss over that with all the talk because of OC because that is, in my opinion, possibly just as important. So we will get to that. But first of all, there's been some time now to sort of dive in, to sort of get a feel for what South Carolina might be getting with this hire. Um, now that it is official, Chris, what are your thoughts, preliminary thoughts on the hire of Dow Loggins for South Carolina?
1: Well, this was a guy that Shane Beamer clearly had identified very early in the process as someone he wanted, uh, someone that he was quite familiar with already, Wes. And, you know, the ties that he has to Shane Beamer, I'm not sure what the initial introduction was, right? But I do know something that we have reported is that Dow Loggins actually visited Columbia last season, last year. Um, And I don't know if that was, you know, during a a bye week or I don't I don't know when that was, Um, but visited with the staff and and was in the building. And so there was clearly a comfort level and there was clearly a situation where Dow Loggins checked some of the boxes or or really all the boxes that Shane Beamer was looking for. And I know for some fans, um, when they first heard the name, maybe it was surprising or something that, you know, they're still kind of getting there. Their uh, minds around in terms of, you know, what what was it about about Dowell Loggins that Shane Beamer likes? But I think, in in knowing what Shane Beamer was looking for, and gathering some information after, you know, we know a few things, right? Shane Beamer was not married to, nor did he really care about just getting a big name. Hey, this guy coached at Alabama. This guy coached at Oregon. Whatever. Um, he wasn't hung up on that whatsoever. He talked a lot, you know, during the process that led up to this. And he didn't say much about it, right? But in his media opportunities, anytime he did address the offensive coordinator vacancy, he always talked about fit and schematically being on the same page and finding a good person, you know, that fit from a culture standpoint as well. And so, you know, you you look at some of the things that we've been able to kind of uncover and learn about Dowell Loggins, and you you learn that he is a person that's really, really liked in the industry and is considered a good recruiter. But then you go beyond that because those things are important, but do they mean you can call plays, right? And so um, from a schematic standpoint, he seems to really fit what Beamer wants to do, which is keeping some pro elements, uh, but also looping in tempo, Um, And just kind of being on the same page of what Shane Beamer wants to do schematically.
0: Yeah. So, man, I I think um, obviously anytime you hire a new play caller, a new coordinator, and it's not one of those um, high profile names, like we talked about, um, there's going to be a certain bit of fan angst. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to talk out of both sides of my mouth here, but in a way I am. Uh, But hopefully we can kind of have a non-Twitter discussion, if that makes sense. Like a, um, let's dive into it discussion. I certainly understand some, keywords, some of the reaction to this. Um, Much like we said throughout the Marcus Satterfield era at South Carolina, I understood a ton of the angst surrounding the offensive output at South Carolina. Now, when it falls over into the category of people tweeting at a coach's wife when she posts a picture of their family saying to fire her husband, you know, that's when I'm out on that type of stuff, you know? So I, especially after watching South Carolina's offenses, for a large part of the last x number of years, I don't know exactly how I haven't counted it up, but let's just be honest, there's been a lot of bad offense. Just in general, you know, really since Spurrier left, basically. Um and even the I guess the final year of Spurrier, it was uh, it was very very hit or miss on offense as well. The second to last year of Spurrier, they were really good on offense. There were some positive moments along the way. Positive finish to this season, obviously, offensively. There was a Brian McClendon season where you look at the numbers and maybe it was the best stretch that they've had. But the point I'm trying to get to, I understand Gamecock fans saying, guys, when can I watch my team have a proven non-commodity at offensive coordinator? When can we be like one of those programs that goes out And gets the big name guy. Um, However, the other side of this is that the big name doesn't always necessarily create the best results. And yes, it is, you know, I would say fair to say, yes, there's probably a better chance percentage-wise in a vacuum of someone that's been a great coordinator somewhere else coming in and doing it. I would agree with that. Um, However, I remember some of the same hand-wringing a couple of years ago when people watched Auburn hire Mike Bobo and Derek Mason to run their offense and defense. And not that the situations are completely comparable, but Bobo was out after, what, one mm-hmm. season at Auburn? And then um, didn't really work out with Derek Mason either for South Carolina – didn't really work out with Satterfield, but has worked out great with Clayton White. So, you know, I I think with these things, it's never really completely cut and dry. I think we, we should and will judge this hire based on how it plays out on the field and how the results play out. And, you know, I think even with the hire of Shane Beamer, this is a hire for South Carolina. A lot of national media people sort of tried to compare it to some of the bigger names and said, you know, I don't get the hire, or said, um, you know, you could have hired someone with more experience. And to, I mean, I would say to everyone's expectations so far, Shane Beamer and his program have exceeded them. So I'm much more of a wait and see. So I'm not going to sit here and do like some people and yell at fans for being upset or questioning it. Completely, you're right. The other side of it is, though, Chris, I think now you kind of just, it is official. It's happening. It's done. Now, it's what happens moving forward. What does this offense look like? What does the scheme look like? What is the approach? Can he convince Spencer Rattler, Juice Wells, these guys to come back? Can he hit the portal, bring in a couple of difference makers? And then, fast forward... What's it look like on game day? Um, I, I think we're at the point where you judge it on the product, you judge it on what happens at South Carolina um, versus all the hand-wringing about what has happened in the past. Yeah,
1: and I think, man, to- always totally fair, I think, to you know criticize things or question things, right? I mean, that's it's great to be able to do that as long as it's fair and as long as it's accurate. Like That's the biggest thing. The fairness even can be subjective, but at least being accurate about certain things, um, and so there's there's a there's a bunch of points there on on logins specifically to get to. But but to your point about hiring a big name guy, right? Like if if South Carolina Shane Beamer had hired somebody, you know, just hypothetically who had fifteen years of experience and averaged thirty points a game at every stop, like. You would be able to point to that and say, "Well, there's a good chance of that working, right?" Um, does that mean it'll work here? Not necessarily. I mean, we we've seen, and we've seen pretty recently, some assistant coaches with great resumes, with supposedly amazing success at previous stops, that have gotten to South Carolina and not done as much of those things at all. And you look at Shane Beamer's staff right now, Shane Beamer himself as you said, Wes, tight ends coach from Oklahoma, never been a coordinator. His defensive coordinator is from Western Kentucky. His defensive line coach is from Western Kentucky. His uh, linebackers coach, his edge coach, Sterling Lucas, um, was an assistant, not even the position coach, an assistant position coach in the NFL. Torian Gray is pretty decorated, right? He's been at Virginia Tech and at Florida, and he's been a position coach in the NFL. Greg Agins came from Marshall. He's been at some big schools. Montario Hardesty. What was his last stop? Charlotte. Right? Jody Wright has been a bunch of worn a bunch of different hats. He's even been a high school relations guy at Alabama. Justin Stepp has been a position coach, you know, SMU, Arkansas. So you don't go through this coaching staff and say, oh, God, here's, you know, 10 Blue Bloods. Like, that's really what it has not been about that. And yet, as you pointed out, Shane Beamer has found more success than I think anybody anticipated through the first two years. Will that sustain? We, we don't know yet. But that is what they've done through the first two years, and he's done it with a cast of characters, so to speak, that has not been like this this Blue Blood. So. I made the point about being accurate and being fair. So I think if you look at the Dow Loggins situation and say he should have hired this guy or should have hired a guy with more experience, that I think you can make that point and be fair, and we'll all see what happens, right? We'll all be able to analyze this in real time. One thing that I do want to point out, a lot of people are doing going on Wikipedia, and they're pulling up these stats from his OC tenures, whether it's uh, – Miami, Chicago, other other stops, and they're saying here's what his offenses were ranked. Okay, but just be aware that when he was with Adam Gase, um, which would have been a couple, few different stops, Gase, even though log inside the OC title, Gase was the primary play caller for almost every game in in that tenure. Uh, we don't know the exact number, but We've talked with a bunch of people in the industry. So your argument could probably be more no college experience or limited OC experience in general rather than we have a, a seven-year body of work that was terrible. That's that's not quite accurate. Just wanted to point that out.
0: Yeah, and I, I think um, even then, if we knew exactly when he was calling plays and, and wasn't – I just kind of feel like calling plays in the NFL is a different animal than calling plays in, in college ball. And, you know, so I, I think – and in, in no way am I going to sit here and, like, just can try to convince everybody, oh, you know, this is 100% going to work. Like, that's not what I'm saying whatsoever. Um, the other side is, though, I, I mean, I think it's no doubt the guy is going to prove to be a good football mind. Like, you, he was known at Arkansas – as a player, he was a he was a walk on quarterback who essentially went through his college career. Um, I've, I've been talking to some of the Arkansas reporters. Essentially, went through his college career in order to put himself in a position to be a coach. Um, you know, he was one of these guys that always knew he wanted to be a coach. Um, he was a walk on quarterback, essentially, to learn the ins and outs of being an offensive coach and. You know, I think, Chris, you look, and to me, you can look at the results in the NFL, and and I get it. You you know, it happened. You're, we're not going to pretend it didn't. However, I would also say that um, you don't get hired at the ages he was at in the NFL to coach quarterbacks, to have the OC title even, if you aren't a pretty freaking sharp dude. Like, I, I've got a feeling after the first press conference, he will win over at least a segment of the fan base. Even then, though, the hire is going to be determined by how well he can scheme this thing up and dial it up on game days. And, you know, so even maybe some people listen to the press conference and are like, oh, man, this guy is super sharp. And it kind of goes back the other way where, you know, they're bought in. But to that, I would also say, look, the, the reality and the fair thing is let's see what happens on Saturdays next fall, and then let's judge it from there. I have no doubt he's going to be a good recruiter. Like, I'm really not even – again, we talked about on 107.5, Chris. That's not the first thing you even look at for your OC anyway. But the Arkansas guys say, you know, he stepped right in and was fantastic on the recruiting trail. So that part – is gonna be an added bonus, I think. I don't even think it's a question. But um I, I think for South Carolina and for fans, we're really we're gonna learn bits and pieces here and there. But I can tell y'all times when the narrative going into a season was that, hey, this guy's fantastic. Sounds great behind the scenes. You know, the the guys are buying in and then the season gets here and it doesn't play out like that on the field as well. So we're gonna we're gonna all find out in the fall. Yeah,
1: we are, and you know we're gonna have some samplings in there, right? Because we're gonna hear some things. Uh, we're gonna have the opportunity to see some spring ball, hear how spring ball went, see the spring game, and and definitely overanalyze the heck out of the spring game and the the fourth quarter of the spring game when it's all third teamers, fourth teamers, and walk ons. But ultimately, that's what it is, right? And um, you know, there are a lot of key questions for this offense that go west even beyond who was calling plays. But but I think look, people just want to maximize this offense and, and what it can do. And so we saw that at the end of the year. You walked away I mean, you could not if you walked away from the Tennessee game with a negative thought about if, if you're going, man, on that second down, they really should have like check yourself on that. There, there's not much of anything you could have done better there. You completely maxed out your team, Clemson. You won that football game. Uh, you made a bunch of mistakes and s- still scored thirty-one points. Given some of the struggles of the past couple years, great result, right? So that's the feel that you want this offense to have. Are they taking what they have and really maximizing the production week in and week out? And so some of look there. There's common themes to what we've seen and what we've discussed so often. Why is player a or player X not getting the football consistently. Why are there so many plays? Right. And so they were able to hone in on that and and fix that at the end of the year. I think that's something Shane Beamer, frankly, West was looking for in this hire somebody that could run philosophically what he wants, but also somebody who's going to do something, you know, simple that lets the players go play fast and, and go execute.
0: Yeah, and along those same lines, man, um, what have you heard, you know, as you started diving in on, on him and the plan, and, and, you know, we'll get more details, I'm sure, in the coming uh, days, weeks, and months, but what uh, what have you heard about potentially the plan of kind of trying to do some of what they've done already, some of what maybe they were doing at Arkansas, some of what he's done in the past? Um, have you heard any details on what that plan might be?
1: Well. Yeah, I have heard a few things, and I, I think one thing, look, Dow Loggins seems like a pretty sharp guy, and I think he and Shane Beamer and the rest of the offensive staff are going to sit down and go over what they did last year and what they did um, even in in 2021 and go back and find what worked and what didn't, what what was broken, what was, you know, what helped them to thrive. And certainly – uh, Shane Beamer was able to flip a switch the last couple weeks and institute some things that really helped this team get on a path to success in production. And I think a large part of what they're going to be trying to do is is harnessing that, right? Now, it may look different from a, a play call standpoint or a schematic standpoint, but a lot of the principles of what they did, I think are going to be there. Um, but as to what to expect with logins, I mean, it was a question for me because you know, a lot of his NFL uh, career was tied to Adam Gase and what Gase was doing offensively. So what I hear is that it'll probably be some concepts from the Bryle system that he, you know, was familiar with at Arkansas, plus pro elements. So some things they will bring from the NFL, um, and that they'll utilize some tempo. I mean, Shane Beamer, has talked in the past about being able to play with tempo when it makes sense and how that can stress defenses. Um, And Spencer Rattler and some of the offensive players on this team, likewise, have talked about how they like going fast and like playing with tempo. And so I think that's something that the players may like, but also something that can, you know, help you find success on the field.
0: Yeah, and I I think, um, dude, more more than ever – and I've kind of felt this way about this offseason for a while. For me, a lot of their success may boil down to number seven's decision. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting how many games this year, especially early on, uh, did we sort of say, let's see how 7 plays. Let's see, you know, let's see if they can get him going. And then the end of the year, I mean, lots of guys made plays. Not minimizing that at all, but... The catalyst was Spencer Rattler. So, to me, yes, there have been departures to the transfer portal. Marshawn Lloyd, Jaheim Bell, those are losses. Make no mistake. However, the key is if Rattler comes back, A, you come in, you're, um Loggins, you have your quarterback in place. You probably, not that it's necessarily completely tied in, But you got to think that's going to weigh heavily on a potential Juice Wells decision if you know your quarterback is back. If those two guys are back, then I promise you, South Carolina will find a receiver, probably a running back, and a tight end in the portal who would want to play with those guys. So to me, that's the catalyst. And I really can't see South Carolina saying, let's reinvent the wheel from what worked at the end of the season. You know, I I think that would be a key there. You're going to hopefully even take the same idea, but just continue to push further into that arena of, like you said, simplifying, making things a little bit just uh, a little bit more sort of just easy to um, digest, I think, if you're a new player if you're coming in a little bit easier to call plays and stuff and I think if you do that and you bring back Rattler then everything probably flows pretty smooth with this if Rattler's out then it kind of feels more like a kind of like a reset almost and then it's going to be I think the expectations change that obviously will affect other things then you know you maybe have to look at Who are you bringing in at quarterback in that class, and completely changes the perception going into next season. So, as weird as it is to say with a new OC, to me, my expectations for next season's offense actually kind of focus more again on the quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's huge. You know, that's why we always talk about it being the most important position on the field. You got to have the trigger man, and certainly Spencer Rattler played his best ball at the end of the year for South Carolina. And now what was one of the key changes there, really the most significant change from what we saw most of the season, first 10 games, good pockets in there, right, but never found that offensive explosion and that consistency that we saw in terms of being able to move the football against Tennessee and against Clemson where they had another very good outing. you know, I think it was, look, it was simplifying it and letting Seven go out and play and find Juice Wells, um, be able to improvise and do what he does best. And so I'm certain, look, Shane Beamer now has a couple years of data and he's a smart guy. He's going to be able to know, you know when they're sitting around in staff meetings, the offensive staff meeting, and they're kind of crafting the game plan for next year. Yes, Spencer Rattler is going to be a huge part of that, and he makes this team so much better from the jump. But I think Shane Beamer is going to have that two years of data to say, there were times when we carried way too much into a game, times where we tried to do too much. He simplified things, made sure it was simplified for the last two games. Boom, they had the two biggest wins in recent memory for this program. And I don't think he's going to forget that
0: notion, you know, going into this off season. Yeah, man. So, a um, couple of questions here in the chat. I want to hit. Then, I like I said, I want to talk about Pete Limbo and that extension there as well. And we'll have all off season to talk about the roster. And you know, of course, there are going to be transfer portal um, guys. I'm sure going into the portal, guys coming to South Carolina from the portal. And uh, we'll have all off season to hit on that. But real quick, you know, somebody asked. Uh, Won't South Carolina replace the entire O-line? Yes and no. I mean, it's kind of interesting because Carolina did bring back pretty much everybody on the offensive line this past season. And, Chris, you kind of looked at it and you said, well, they they need to take advantage of that now because a lot of those guys will be gone. As the year progressed, though, we saw some of the guys who were sort of behind the older players start to – assert themselves. You know, so a lot of those guys have eligibility left. I mean, you look, yes, they lose an Eric Douglas at center who, you know, I, I thought had a solid season, very sharp guy as far as getting everybody around him set. That will be someone they have to replace. But you look at some of the other spots, um Tyshawn Wanamaker will finally be able to sort of slide in. You would think you would project for him to be a starter at tackle. up uh, Trey Jones got in there and played quite a bit this past season. Um, off and on until he got hurt again. Uh, Ja'Kai Moore really turned into a starter towards the end of the year. He was a backup to start the year. Vershawn Lee is back. Jalen Nichols will have an opportunity to come back if he wants. He's got eligibility left. So, you know, my answer to that would be yes and no. Like, yes, they do lose a lot from the O-line, a lot of experience, but they also bring back guys that over the last couple of years have have been able to gain their own experience. So. I I don't really look at that position as being this huge rebuild because of, of those guys getting a lot of experience. Somebody also mentioned Arkansas tight end Trey Knox. Um, you know, we, we've we already got some stuff on the message board and on the front page on GC about some transfer portals to watch transfer portal guys to watch. Uh, but Knox, I mean, it, it almost just makes sense, right, Chris? Like, we, I mean, we've heard some rumblings as well. We're not just, putting the tea leaves together like it's reading the tea leaves like it's I think there's something there but usually the portal comes with connections and now you have Knox being someone who was recruited by Justin Step to Arkansas and was coached by Loggins uh, with the Razorbacks as position coach as well.
1: Yeah, big big kid, uh big 6'4 six, 6'5 six, receiver out of high school from Tennessee. One of those guys that that step convinced to come to Arkansas and play. Uh, Rocket Sanders was another who ended up getting moved to running back and obviously is a really, really good player for the Razorbacks as Gamecock fans know. But Trey Knox ends up, you know, before this season, they put a bunch of weight on him, move him to tight end, um, still has a receiver skill set. And so we know that South Carolina's tight end room has cleared out in some ways, right? Uh, You're, Going to be without Trey Kenyon. You're going to be without Austin Stogner, Jaheim Bell, Nate Atkins. Will be finishing up uh, playing in his final football game at South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. So it was pretty wide open, and there are a couple of high school commitments in Connor Cox and Cam Sandlin um, still chasing Reed McKeska, a Miami commitment from the high school ranks. But in addition to that, you know you're looking around at the transfer portal, West and need a guy or maybe even guys, certainly a guy who can come in and give you an immediate presence at the tight end position. So Knox is an interesting one, not really an inline guy like a Stogner or an Adkins as much. Adkins obviously moved around a bunch of different places, but definitely a pass catching threat at tight end. And you noted the obvious connections there with a couple of current Gamecock staffers.
0: Yeah. And uh, to add to that, Chris, I, uh, I got a little bit more insight. I'm I'm working this together for something I'm going to post for our subscribers, but the short version is that it was a little bit of a coincidence, the timing of Knox hitting the portal. However, um, I think those connections definitely could potentially hold up here because A, South Carolina has a great story at tight end now, as you just detailed, and B, there's there are the two connections there. But... He really wasn't, from what I've heard out of Arkansas, was not that happy with how he was being used. And that's not a playing time thing. He was on the field, but they actually were trying to line him up in line um, when really he's more of a flex guy. He's more of that guy you put out in the slot. Um, and I even went and looked at some of his PFF numbers, and it's kind of split between the two. Whereas, you know, I, I would think, you know, coaches line up their flex guys and their speed guys in line from time to time, but the split just wasn't uh, the percentage between the two that you would think. I'm not looking at it right in front of me right now, but I was kind of surprised a former wide receiver. Who's not a massive bodied guy um, that you, you wouldn't really want him in the box that much. So uh, I think for South Carolina, the key will be to say, Hey, there's a definite need for someone like that. You just lost Jaheim Bell, and, you know, if if I'm them, Chris, I would really highly be considering adding a second tight end from the portal as well just because I think the kind of low-key loss here is Trey Kenyon because I sort of had penciled him in as, you know, as Nate Atkins moves on, as Stogner moves on. I was like, this is going to be Kenyon's chance to come in and and really finally – finally shine as the guy as the inline tight end and maybe you go out and you get a you know a Trey Knox to be your your sort of a receiver threat at tight end and uh, he of course retired from football so uh, i think that's sort of a loss that has been not as talked about as much because of the high profile nature of the other losses but Kenyon has all he's done is just be a solid football player his entire time at South Carolina
1: and another Kind of maybe forgotten about aspect his special teams work, you know he was a key contributor. Yes, uh, for them on special teams, going out there and you know trying to block punts or you know on the coverage teams. I mean he did a really really good job for Pete Limbo in that regard. So yeah, that that was the one that really you know I think was kind of a shocker to some people, especially because of the timing and it came on the heels of something. It wasn't a transfer portal situation; it was just a, a walk away situation and. Um, I thought Kenyon was a great example of a guy that had kind of been given up on. We, we saw him west. I still remember. We still talk about it, seeing him at a summer camp out of high school. He came out of North Carolina catching passes, really athletic guy. Um, got to South Carolina, and it just didn't click. It took a while, and Shane Beamer and his staff, I think, did a really good job of, of developing Kenyon over his time and made him into a into a key player. But you're right. I mean, the room, again, it, it is pretty cleared out. Lots of playing time available, whether it's for high schoolers or transfer portal guys, and um, obviously a priority position to figure out going forward because you need tight ends, and those guys do tend to be key special teams contributors. Nate Atkins, think about what he did, especially at the end of the year. Uh, they tend to play in those roles, so it's it's something they'll have to figure out.
0: Yeah, Nate Atkins, man, that was the the final pickup of the last offseason and proved to be an exceptional pickup for South Carolina. So I I do think you can, not that we know who that guy will be yet, but I do think you can find that guy, that sort of traditional hand-in-the-dirt, tough-nosed, block-first, tight end. I think you can find that guy in the portal if you're South Carolina, if they decide to go that direction. And then, you know, it opens the door for those freshmen to to come in and have an opportunity to play right as well, too. But in this era, if you have the option, if you have the ability to go get a guy who's played some, I think that's probably what you have to do. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, uh, I think, moving forward. And I'm sure, Chris, there are probably some guys that Loggins has connections to that we're not even thinking about, we don't even know about, that there's some, you know, this guy's uncle played for – logins back in, you know, 10 years ago. Or so. There's always weird connections in football that um, will probably pop up uh, moving forward. So I think that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. But you mentioned tight ends and special teams. So that sounds like a perfect segue to talk about Pete Limbo. I don't have a list of all the special teams coordinators in the country. But if there's one that has been better than Pete Limbo, um, hats off to him. Because uh, I can't imagine. Maybe there's somebody who's equal. Can't imagine anybody being better. And what what a smart, just, I guess it's probably an obvious move, but I've seen in the past, I've seen the University of South Carolina days past not making the obvious move. So this was a great move to go ahead, lock Limbo in a raise, an extension through the year 2025. And, uh, man, talk about a guy that's earned it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Pete Limbo every year, I would imagine every year Wes is going to come up for some smaller school head coaching jobs, kind of along the lines of what he has done in his career. Elon, Ball State. Uh, I think we'll see some of those type programs continue to have him on their short list, on their hot boards. Um, Ivy schools, you know, kind of, kind of some niche schools, northeast schools where he has a big background. I think we'll see that. And so for South Carolina, this is kind of a maybe a preemptive strike. Um, ultimately, if he gets a really good head coaching job, would he maybe leave one day? Maybe so. I mean, it's a head coaching job. This is a guy who has a hit, he's been a head coach and has that tight mentality, but he's also happy at South Carolina. And for South Carolina, for Shane Beamer, for the administration, this is a way to reward what he's done. And you're right, Wes, he has been. Outstanding his two seasons at South Carolina, no doubt about it. With what he's done, uh, the consistency of his groups, how many plays they've made, the player development—he's been outstanding there. Uh, But this is also a way to show that he's valued. You know, you're not going to jump to any head coaching job because you're underpaid. That is certainly not the case. Now, Pete Limbo getting what was it? I think was seven twenty-five k. A year is now his new salary. I'm pretty sure that's it. I think it's seventy-seven twenty-five annually. So a really nice payday for Pete Limbo and well deserved.
0: Yeah, and I, I think um, here I was trying to verify that for you real quick. I think that's right. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, seven twenty-five. That is a bump up from four sixty-five a year. So a, a pretty sizable increase there. And I'll say this, man, we've talked about this before. It's not necessarily breaking news, but Pete Limbo has his – how would you say? He has his uh, handprint on this entire program, I think it's safe to say. So, yes, he is a special teams coach, but he's also the assistant head coach or the associate head coach and is a guy who um, sort of just – has a way of making everybody around him better. Like I think he – we hear about team-first players. I feel like it's not a stretch to say Limbo is a team-first coach that just always seems to put the program first. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. But first, uh, I want to tell you all about our friends at Liberty Tax, uh, 803-462-5576. It is December 13th, which means tax time is right around the corner. Tax season is right around the corner. And obviously, some of the money moves you make right now are going to affect your taxes in the new year. So uh, if you want to see what what moves you maybe need to make to best prepare you for your taxes um, when you're doing them in 2023 for the 2022 tax year, uh, give our friends at Liberty Tax a call, 803-462-5576. Uh, they will help you out. Three great locations right here in the Columbia area, Irmo, Lexington. And then, of course, uh, regular old Columbia. Again, 803-462-5576. But, Chris, I've always been somewhat um, just intrigued by the fact that Pete Limbo's special teams kind of take on a life of their own. And you've noticed the buy-in from his players, from this program in that. And it's a combination of things, I think. One, you got to have a head coach who is completely bought in as well? It's not just lip service. Like they they give time and practice. You have limited time. They give time to special teams more so than I would say just about every other program. I think from what I've heard. But also, man, the fact that Limbo's terminology, his techniques, and his drills are all designed for there also to be carryover into the other aspects of your football program. What that means is if I'm a wide receiver and I'm playing on kickoff return, the terminology, the techniques that I use on special teams are going to match with what I'm being taught and what the terminology is on offense as well. And that is by design. And so you can see that throughout the entire program. And I, I think in a day or in a game, I should say, where everybody seems to have a different name for the same concept. Like, how many different coaches, Chris? Have you been around being someone who isn't in a football program but is around football all the time? How many different times have you had a guy call something something? And you'd be like, "What? What does that mean?" And then you look at it and you're like, "Oh, that's this," but this coach calls it something completely different. Like, there's so much jargon terminology. It's like a completely different language. Well. Limbo is just so detail-oriented about this stuff, and I think it carries over to what South Carolina does special teams-wise, but really throughout the entire program. Yeah,
1: I mean, the pr- the proof's in the pudding. It, it doesn't happen by accident. It, it is because of the team-wide devotion to it. And I think you made a great point that it is, it's kind of like just ingrained in the fabric of the program, special teams. It's not, you know, you can call it like a third phase of the game but really with the way that Pete Limbo and Shane Beamer and really all the coaches, I mean, the the other coaches deserve credit for this too, the way that they have everything carry over and the buy-in from not only the players but the coaches uh, in in making it important, spending time with it, um, making everything the same, having everything kind of integrate and work together. um, I think that's the reason for it. And, And Pete Limbo and his guys do a really good job, obviously, of teaching it, Shane Beamer and position coaches let their best players play special teams. Um, another thing that's not an accident, if you play your best players on special teams, you're probably going to be better on special teams than, than average. So a lot of different pieces work in there, and I think you can see why Shane Beamer, you know, wanting to bring on someone like Pete Limbo of his caliber as a difference maker You know, he said before, hey, I would just do it myself unless I could hire somebody really good, and that somebody was Pete that he wanted. Um, You can see why he wanted to do that, and it certainly paid off.
0: No doubt. So, yeah, congrats congrats to Pete Limbo as well. That's a uh, reward for a job well done. Um, Excellent raise there, and you can tell South Carolina not messing around um, with that. And his name was out there with some other jobs, so very smart for South Carolina to do what they could to lock him up. And so, Chris, let's talk, before we get out of here, a little bit of recruiting, man. National Signing Day, one week from tomorrow, which is incredibly hard to believe. But uh, it's here. It's almost here. And uh, one final recruiting weekend ahead. We'll be able to talk about that. Kind of closing in on it throughout the week. But I got to say, man, Lenoris Sellers, watching him – On Monday at Shrine Bowl practice, he's got some fresh film out there as well. I think you and I maybe are going to do a separate video for that. So everybody look out for that. This kid is not just a late bloomer who has late bloomer hype. We see that sometimes, right? Where it's like a guy just sort of gets on a roll and their name kind of grows a little bit. Not the case here. This kid is legit. Um, had a phenomenal senior season. I'm still surprised there aren't more big schools chasing him because they should be. From what I heard, his performance in the state championship game was phenomenal off the charts, but very natural arm, strong arm. He can run it, smart kid, polite kid, very unassuming. Light ball, or The light switch goes on when he gets between the lines. He turns right back into being a nice, unassuming kid off the field. I could not be more impressed, and I think the Gamecocks are doing everything they can to flip him at this point. And a
1: physical runner, too. Right? Like uh, I talked to some coaches who who watched some current high school coaches who watched the state title game, and they were just blown away. And um, a lot of people already familiar with this game, and I know that. The South Florence head coach, Drew Marlowe, said, I think this was after the state title win, that, you know, Lenoris is the most impactful player in the state and that it is not close. And it's probably hard to argue with him, right? This is a guy that, I mean, really, Wes, you just ran through it. He checks all of your boxes as a quarterback. You don't really see weaknesses in his game. Um, he's got size, he's smart, great kid, not going to cause you any problems. He can lead, he can run it, he can throw it. Um, I watched him play Irmo last year, Wes in person, Nicky Manwari led Irmo defense. I think Lenore's put up 63 points on that team. Um, And I was blown away. So uh, really, really good player. And this is the kind of kid that if you're South Carolina, you don't want to let him get out of the Palmetto State. And I know they're working towards that end um, as things continue here in December
0: yeah and he um he's played it pretty close to the vest um he said he told us yesterday he said no announcement no you know he's still committed to Syracuse so I guess in his opinion there's no reason to make an announcement right now he basically is going to sign at some point next week he he actually didn't say it was for sure going to be Wednesday he said it would definitely be next week so Wednesday, Thursday or Friday and he's either going to just sign with Syracuse or sign with the Gamecocks um I do think the the door was open anyway with South Carolina offering but now the Syracuse offense coordinator has left he's at NC State now South Carolina's also offered his younger brother which I heard before that happened was going to maybe be a key to his recruitment so I kind of feel like South Carolina has put themselves in a position to to make the flip happen, but we'll all have to just wait and see what happens. And somebody's saying, who the heck would want to play in Syracuse? I think a perfect example here, Chris, Syracuse getting in early. Uh, you know, he was committed to a couple of their coaches when they were at Virginia. They go to the Syracuse staff and just got in early, built the early relationship, and th- their quick, fast evaluation has proved to be, uh, you know, very uh, sharp on, on their part. And now South Carolina got in, you know, frankly, a little bit late. Some other schools, frankly, have just completely missed the boat on him. Like they, th- this is a four star prospect. Um, like I don't, I don't care if he's still a three star at some places. This is a four star kid, uh, maybe a high four star kid as far as potential goes. So it's going to be. Just give credit to Syracuse for building those relationships and getting in on them early. I I think that's the answer, right there. Is uh, they got in first.
1: Yeah, they did, and I think that's making this a tough decision. You know, some people are probably looking at it going, "He's from South Carolina. South Carolina's offered. Just go to South Carolina." But for somebody like Lenoris, who um, you know comes from a good family, has a really good head on his shoulders it's not that simple because of the relationships. And we talk so often about recruiting and relationships being important. And a lot of times they are There's sometimes in recruiting where it comes down to, I mean, quite frankly, Wes, nowadays, sometimes recruiting just comes down to NIL um, or sometimes it just comes down to location. Uh, but for Lenora, he's a really thoughtful kid. Um, and it's going to consider all the factors. And I think, the fact that he has such long standing relationships with Syracuse and they've stuck with him for so long uh, when he hasn't always had tons of offers at his disposal from a scholarship standpoint, I think that makes this difficult. But South Carolina, they are the school making that difficult. And you, you would, not you would think, that they are in a spot where they could potentially make this happen. And I think if they could, uh, it'd be a really, really big gift for South Carolina.
0: Yeah, man, I, I think um, I think they're in a pretty good spot. We'll certainly be tracking that for our Gamecock Central subscribers uh, throughout the next uh, week and a day. Um, final thoughts here, man. I guess we got uh, – oh, we still got a bunch of people on here, Chris, but uh, we're going to start to close it out. We'll be able to do a couple of these. Hopefully, I'm still coming in clear. It was sort of um, having a couple little connection issues there, but Chris uh, – I know they can read about it on Gamecock Central, so we want to encourage everybody to head on over there. We got some deals going on, as always. Uh, shout out, by the way, there was a somebody in the chat earlier who said they were going to subscribe today. We got a special ten dollar deal. Um, ten dollars if you if you sign up now, you'll get from now until the beginning of next season for ten bucks. So that's the current deal going on. But do you want to give? I guess a couple of little thoughts. Hopefully, everybody can go read the rest on the Marshawn Lloyd departure, um, that, of course, becoming official on Monday.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, especially nowadays, Wes, with the transfer portal looming out there, I think there may be even a temptation to look at the Marshawn situation and go, well, that's weird, which it kind of is, and, and say, well, there, it must have been something. It had to have been. You know, a massive NIL deal somewhere or it had to have been some huge blow up or or something went terribly wrong. I really don't think so. You know, from what I've gathered, obviously Marshawn had a very interesting season last year. Remember, first three games, a lot of folks looking around, and I'm sure that includes Marshawn and his camp, or I know it does, going, man, he's really not getting the football. Four or five game stretch in between what Charlotte and Texas A&M. Things turn around. He's featured. Then Missouri, terrible offensive game for South Carolina. Marshawn gets hurt, limits him in that game, and keeps him out for a couple other games before he's able to return and play 30-something snaps, albeit unlimited capacity, against Clemson. And so it was just an interesting year, um, and I think that kind of – set the table, so to speak, for, you know, Marshawn and those close to him huddling up, talking with Shane Beamer and the rest of the staff. And eventually what they landed on Wes was that, you know, uh, trying to look around and and take an opportunity elsewhere, uh, where they they felt better about the situation in terms of being able to be featured. And um, we can all argue about that. (laughs) We can say, oh, well, you know, he was going to be the starter and he would have been featured next year, and certainly that was South Carolina's pitch. Uh, You can look at the fact that he was injured last year, that they did figure it out after those first few games, and there are counters to that. And so that's really what what I kind of gathered on the situation, Wes.
0: And, Chris, I will say this. um, We are always tracking little rumors and stuff we hear about hey, this guy might be leaving, this guy might be leaving. Sometimes, and we'll get flack on the message board sometimes, why didn't you mention this? Um, Well, partially because rumors are rumors, and also partially because guys change their minds all the time. Um, In this case, um, there were some strong signs, not not just that this could happen, but that this was going to happen if not for uh, another change in mind, basically. And, you know, you had had an article on Monday morning basically mentioning that this was out there, that he could potentially leave. But my point being, with both Marshawn and Jaheim Bell, I remember, Chris, us tracking down rumors last offseason that they could potentially leave the program, that they could potentially exit. Now, y'all, I'll tell you, it's not that uncommon, especially with a younger player, if it's a freshman. We hear rumors about, oh, this guy's going to leave, um, all the time, that never end up happening. And this has been a, since as long as I've been covering college football throughout multiple coaching staffs. It's just part of it. Guys get to college, and it's it's hard. It's not easy. They're not playing. They're redshirting in a lot of cases. They think about leaving. Well, usually though, if if it doesn't go perfectly, if if there's still some like issues in that player's mind. To me, it is that it kind of comes full circle sometimes. Some guys just never even consider leaving. But in the case of Marshawn and Jaheen Bell, Chris, I think the framework or at least the thought, sort of that seed, if you will, for a possible exit has been there for for months now. And it obviously disappeared prior to this past season, and the focus was on this season for those guys. But somebody asked earlier, you know, was it a surprise? Or is it a surprise these guys left? On the surface, it is kind of weird. They are starters. They are guys who would have been a big part of the offense next year. But beneath the surface, it's not really that much of a surprise. And the other part of it is you're seeing this throughout college football. Unfortunately, right now, with the way the portal is structured and the way NIL is structured, this is the new normal. And it's going on. Everywhere. So some of it is you can't be happy with landing Spencer Rattler, Juice Wells, Corey Rucker, then also turn around and be that ticked off when somebody on your team enters the portal as well. It's it's two-sided, and I think it's important for us all to remember that.
1: Yeah, and there's going to be different reasons. I mean – Nowadays, look, NIL in the transfer portal and in high school recruiting is big now. That's the reality. That does not mean that every guy that enters the portal is doing it because of NIL, right? Wherever Marshawn Lloyd goes, he'll get an NIL deal for sure. He'll get several of them probably. Um, He had several at South Carolina. But that doesn't mean that was the reason, right? So you have to avoid the temptation of, of saying, well, this guy's just leaving because of this reason or that reason. It it often has some type of nuance. Jaheim Bell's situation is different than Marshawn's situation, is different than Spencer Rattler's situation that caused him to leave Oklahoma and ultimately come to South Carolina. So, um, yeah, I mean, we knew that there was a possibility. I think you mentioned whatever day that was, Wes. I, I forgot. I can't keep the past, like, eight or nine days straight. I don't even know what happened. But um, there was some lag time between Marshawn actually entering the portal and picking up some info that this was possible after his social media post, right? But again, just like kids consider transferring, sometimes they post weird things on social media. And so you got to go and and try to run it down. But this is happening a lot of places. Um, It's something you have to deal with. It's something that Shane Beamer and his staff will have to deal with a good bit. They did a good job when he first got to South Carolina, for the most part, of holding the roster together. And now uh, there are some challenges, you know, that are, that are out there. There's some guys to replace, the tight end room, a starting running back, Jaheim Bell, with what he could do. And so now it's about going out in the transfer portal and high school recruiting and from what you've got on the roster and going out and try to, trying to be resourceful and not replace those guys, right, but try to replace that production and move things forward.
0: Yeah, and I think, Chris, uh, opens up the door big time for a guy who hasn't been talked about as much, a DJ Braswell, who um, freshman will be a freshman for South Carolina next year, high school commitment for the Gamecocks at running back, four-star guy on, on, on three, and someone that I, I think actually does quietly have a skill set to potentially help South Carolina early as well. So I think he's someone to keep an eye on. But all right, y'all, we're out of time. Uh, That's an hour right there. Uh, It was good to be back. Uh, Appreciate y'all joining us. We had a huge crowd on here, still do. We appreciate the support as always. Um, I don't want to lock us into a time because I don't want to lie to you, but we will certainly have plenty to talk about this week uh, later on. And uh, we will certainly uh, hop on and, and chat about whatever the newest happenings are later on this week. So for Chris, I am Wes. Again, appreciate y'all. Like, review, subscribe. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. That's our the best place to watch the show, I think. Um, but yeah, see y'all soon. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family